Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. Just taking your calls and questions all throughout the show. If you've got anything you'd like to visit with us about, just give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show. 844-442-4743 is the number. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, I got a couple of things that I want to get to right off the top here. Uh, but before I do, Darren, I know you've been speaking with farmers today, getting lots of questions, just talking agronomy and what's in store as we go into 2024. So what kind of questions specifically were farmers talking to you about or asking you today? Well, obviously there's a lot of them. When you get towards the end of a growing season, everybody's looking back thinking, okay, how did my decisions play out? What are some things I wish I would have known going into the season and what kind of adjustments will I make? But here's a big one, Brian, and this is one uh, I know you could talk on for days, but why did, in many cases, Dicamba products and even the 2,4-D products, so I'm talking about Extendamax, Ingenia, and Enlist One, why did they not kill all my weeds in the field? Is there resistance? Am I not using a strong enough rate? Was it too hot and dry that my spray droplets didn't make it in the plants? What is going on in these fields, especially soybeans, that caused weed control to be subpar in 2023? Yeah, weed control was subpar for the most part. Um, I, I would just say, number one, the reason why it, things didn't work is weeds got ahead of us. We had double normal growing degree days early in the season. Double, and that is no joke. I know it sounds like, oh, that can't be true, but it was. If you look from May 15th to about the 10th of June or so, um, that's what I would say is number one. So weeds got ahead of guys, and if they're too tall, you're just not going to get control. So that's number one. Number two. A lot of people have gone to bigger and bigger droplets, and in part, the label requires that. Well, when you go to bigger droplets, you have worse spray coverage. So then it means, hey, if there is one extra growing point or the weed is two inches taller, it's just that much harder to kill because you have worse coverage. Another thing we saw a lot of this year is guys didn't get the pre-emerge herbicide on. They were in a hurry, and, oh, sorry, I didn't get the pre on. I got to, you know, I, I got to go to plan B here. I'm like, well, okay, but the problem is you're not going to get great weed control because here's what ends up happening. You've got weeds below weeds below other weeds. What I mean by that is when that canopy is thick of weeds, there are lots of weeds out there. There are weeds underneath those weeds that are so small and are covered by the upper weeds that you can't get coverage on those and you're not going to kill them. So it means you have to spray multiple times post-emerge. Well, you can't be spraying dicamba very long into the season. So to think that you're going to spray multiple times, yeah, good luck. 
And then the next thing that I would say is it was way hotter than normal, at least in our region of the country. And if you look at the drought map, you look at the, the heat index and what it was early on, I mean, it was just, it was flat out hotter than normal. When it's hotter than normal, the leaf cuticles are going to get thicker. The wax is going to build up on those leaves faster than normal, which means you've got to have either more rate, more herbicide rate, or something better to penetrate through, like a crop oil, for example, or methylated seed oil, instead of a non-ionic surfactant. So those are some of the reasons why things haven't been working. And then the other big thing is just flat-out selection, weed selection. I'm not saying there are that many more weeds that are tolerant or uh, maybe possibly resistant, but I am saying that we kill the easy ones, no problem, and that leaves the tougher ones. And if they don't quite die, then they go to seed, and then you're left with more of the tougher ones. And yeah, I don't, I personally don't think we have a whole lot of resistance out there with almost any herbicide. What it is more than anything is tolerance. And so you have to use a double rate, a triple rate, a quadruple rate. Well, by the time you get to that, you're off label and you can't do it. So anyway, these are just some of the problems, and yes, I agree with you 100%. We've seen a lot more issues. So what else? What else did guys bring up, Darren? Well, you know, another thing was on seed, and we talked a little bit about planting populations, and guys, guys are noticing where they had a lower population, either due to planting a lower population or just having some stand issues at the start of the year that it was harder to keep the weeds out and, and the canopy didn't happen as quick as they would have liked. And I know there were some guys looking at possibly increasing rates on soybean planting population, and especially in the problem areas, guys that had iron deficiency chlorosis issues, it was a noticeable difference. Higher populations made a big difference. Yep, I agree 100%. There's been a lot of talk in the industry about oh, we're going to go to lower planting populations. And I get it in some areas. So if you've got super bad white mold or something like that, if, yeah, I, I mean, you can cut your planting population a little bit. If you've got tremendous soil where you're getting 80, 100 bushel beans, whatever, and the beans are getting over your head, um, yeah, you can probably cut your population back a little bit. But if you've got areas that aren't even canopying and you've got iron deficiency chlorosis, um, that, that's, those are problems. And what we're seeing like this year, even on our own farm, we, we should have bumped planting population and we should have gone to narrower rows in some of our lighter fields. We had drought again, this is third year in a row. And what happened? Didn't reach canopy. Didn't get the good thick canopy that we were looking for. Well, crop canopy is the cheapest weed control there is, and it's the best. So anyway, it's just one of those things where we got to take a look closer in the future at row spacing and planting population and bumping that population in those areas of certain fields so we are more drought proof going into the next year all right again it's farmer friday if you want to give us a call here 844-44-AG-PHD is our number or send us an email radio at agphd.com we're going to get to the phone lines right after this When it comes to protecting your field from disease and environmental stress, there's Revitech fungicide. <laughs> and there's everything else. When it comes to unparalleled power, there's Revitech. <laughs> and everything else. 
And when it comes to speed and stamina, this is Revitech. And this is everything else. Nothing else comes close to Revitech fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Combine header loss means loss income. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. It's common to see a two bushel loss per acre due to header loss. That's over $14 per acre. 360 Yield Saver replacement gathering chains cut header loss by cushioning the ear and by closing the gaps between the deck plates. 360 Yield Saver can cut header loss by 80%, adding $14 per acre. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. It's Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. We're going to go to the phone lines right now. We've got John calling in from down in Iowa. John, how are you today? Oh, it's a beautiful day down here. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, probably about 80 degrees and, uh, you know, uh, we haven't had a lot of moisture lately, but uh, we've got enough to sustain us right now. And it sounds like it's going to get hot, though, tomorrow and for the next week or so. Yep, yep, that's for sure. So I'm just curious, what do you think overall of the crop in your area, corn and soybeans? Uh, right where I'm at, it, it looks really good. Uh, we had several long dry spells, but uh, end of June, we got about three inches of rain, and then we got... Uh, Oh, a couple, um, end of July, first week here in August, uh, we haven't had any since, but, uh, everything really looks, looks good. Um, not sure how much, you know, damage the heat spells did, but, uh, I guess we'll never figure that out until the combine runs. <laughs> no, that's for sure. Hey, John, I know you've done a lot of work with the American Soybean Association and the U.S. Soybean Export Council in the past. What what's your feeling right now when I mean a lot of people are getting concerned about just the value of the U.S. dollar and exports and everything. What what's your general outlook on U.S. exports, especially with soybeans here over the course of the next year or two? Well, I think um, I think things uh, look pretty decent, but uh, the only thing I guess I'm concerned about is we're now using lots of oil and increasing the amount of oil for renewable diesel and biodiesel and that's going to make a surplus of meal here and so all those years we've 
you know, work to get our customers overseas to, to buy whole soybeans. Now yep. we've got to try to make sure that we get them to, to buy a meal. So it's going to, it's going to be a job for, for USEC for sure. So do you feel pretty optimistic though, that a lot of the foreign countries are willing to take our soybean meal? Well, I, I think that, yeah, a lot of, a lot of them will. There's, I don't know about China though. You know, you've got, uh, you take, they have, uh, their own crushing, uh, facilities and, sure. uh, you know, it's just like us. They want to, they want to get that value themselves rather than, um, you know, buy the meal. But I, if, if <laughs> they ain't going to have a lot of, a lot of choice, I guess. I mean, better than buy them from Brazil. So that's the only, that's the only bad part there that I can see that, that could happen. But yeah. Now you mentioned biodiesel and just the growth in biodiesel. Tell us a little bit more about that and what you think the outlook for the future is with that. Um, biodiesel right now is, is been growing every year and, uh, but, uh, renewable diesel now has, has, um, uh, really stepped up. I mean, more, more plants and, uh, it's a little more expensive, I guess, but, um, the only part that I can see the problem for biodiesel producers and, and I'm part of a biodiesel plant myself is that renewable diesel is you know is kind of owned by big oil and so they can make contracts with with uh, the crushing companies facilities uh, directly for all the oil and it makes it hard for us smaller biodiesel plants to get um, feedstock then everything all kind of comes back to marketing doesn't just doesn't it just even how you use the words <laughs> renewable and you know people start throwing out sustainable and all these other things and all of a sudden it gets more people in the United States interested in stuff so anyway uh hey John I, I guess I just want to thank you for your past work that you've done for all of us farmers out there we really appreciate that and hopefully thing things will turn out great for you on your farm this year well, we're looking we're looking forward to it. Uh, I'm I'm thinking oh, after all this heat this week, things are going to start to turn. Uh, you know, it's kind of getting towards that that time of year for for corn anyway. And yeah. uh, with a, like I said, with all the heat, I think she'll 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 begin to look like fall. <laughs> yeah, we are expecting an early harvest season this year. So I, I mean, I do like that personally. Get the work done early, and then we get our fertility work and everything else taken care of in the fall too. But anyway, thanks for the time today, John. Appreciate you calling in. You bet. Nice talking to you, Brian. Yep. Thanks. All right, we're gonna go next down to the state of North Carolina. Got Russell calling from down there. Hey, Russell, how are you today? I'm good, Brian. How you been? Excellent. So, what what are what crops are you working on on your farm right now? I know you raise a bunch of different crops there. Uh, we're still pretty pretty hard focused on corn and beans right now, making sure. sure we get them to the end of the year. So, a lot of times, and I've talked to farmers in North Carolina about this time of year, they start getting really concerned about hurricanes and trying to get the crop out. So, is that something that's a big focus for you as well? It is. Um, even being in the western part of the state, uh, I would say there's a majority of years we still get really high winds and excessive rainfall out of hurricanes. So what's kind of your cutoff there? Is there like a certain date where you go, well, we have to, we want to try to get done by this date or we have to get something out of the field by this date? Um, the problem with me being in the western part of the state is we're 
at least three weeks behind what they can start planting dates on the coast. Sure. Um, I mean, we can start seeing hurricanes roll in September 1st to the 15th. And, you know, even if we're going out real early, say the last week of March, you know, that would put us harvesting right around the middle of September, which is still that timeline. Yep. And which crop will you harvest first this year, corn or soybeans? Um, we're actually, uh, we've got some plots that we're trying some new products on for corn and, and we're going to get those out first and, and then we'll switch to beans and, and we'll get all our beans in. We've, we've really been pushing the pencil on making sure we're harvesting beans anywhere from about 14 to 16%. Um, and then we'll switch back to corn and, and finish up with it. How's your growing season been overall there? I, I mean, do you think that the crops are going to be average, above average? What's it looking like? Um, in our part of the state, um, corn definitely got dinged. We had a, a really cold and, and wet April, and everybody was late planting. And uh, we've had two really hard, hot, dry spells during the growing season that um, if you did plant a little bit early, it really dinged it pretty hard during pollination. But um, beans, beans are looking pretty good. Uh, you know, about the time beans started really starting to mature, we've, we've had some pretty good rain so far up until about the last couple of days, but, um, August has been a lot better month than what July was. We only had about four tenths of, uh, of rain in July. <laughs> about the same thing is on our farm. August has been a lot better than July. So I'm just curious, what maturity of corn and beans do you raise? Um, you know, most people around here are running 115 to 120 day corn and, you know, a group five to group six bean. We're, we're going all the way down to about a four two and running up to about a five one. And then we're running 105 day to 115, 16 day on corn. We're, we're trying to get out a little early. So does that kind of come back to that hurricane thing and getting done uh, ahead of any possible bad fall weather or is it just you want to get done so you can get on to the next job um the corn's definitely on the hurricane um on the beans um when we started looking at, at planting early and really trying to push yields you know 80 to 100 bushel soybeans you know we had to go down into the you know low group five in early group fours to get in those determinate varieties to to really be able to set those additional pods and branches Interesting. So the late beans just weren't yielding for you. I mean, you can you can easily get some 60s, and, and there are some beans, group 5 and 6, that'll push 70s. But um, on our farm and a, and a lot of the guys here in the state, they're planting a, a group 3 or group 4 bean to try to get to those triple digits. <laughs> yep, interesting stuff. Well, hey, Russell, thanks a lot for the time today. Really appreciate you calling in. And uh, I, I know you got a lot going on in your farm, so uh, we're just we're glad you took a few minutes for us. Thanks, Russell. Appreciate yep. it. Yep. Have a good day. You too. All right, it's Farmer Friday here on our show today. Our phone line is going to be open all throughout the show. If you want to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. Stay tuned. We're going to get back to the phone lines right after this. You're listening to AgPHD Radio.
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Now is your chance to refuel your farm equipment for free. Register today at fuel.clos.com for your chance to win $10,000 in free farm diesel fuel. From our high-capacity harvesting equipment to our high-horsepower tractors, Kloss is known for superior performance and exceptional fuel efficiency. So go to fuel.clos.com, then check out the advanced equipment at your local Kloss dealer. That's fuel.clas.com. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com USST. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. It's Farmer Friday. If you want to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. We're going to go back to the phone lines right now. We've got Clayton calling in from up in Manitoba. Hey, Clayton, how are things up north today? Yeah, things are pretty good. Can't complain. We started uh, spring wheat last night after supper. It's almost dry, so keep on rolling here. How's the yield so far? Uh, we just got started in doing the driest fields first, the ones that kind of burnt up maybe a little bit premature, so sure. not quite average, but uh, I'm hoping it'll become average as we go on for the rest of the week here. Oh, good. Yeah, I've been talking to some guys in North Dakota, and on the north end of North Dakota and the north end of Minnesota, and they've been saying that 
Uh, the spring wheat yields have been pretty decent, uh, at least on their good ground, so hopefully it uh, that turns out well for you. Hey, I was just going to ask you, I know you're involved with the uh, Canadian Canola Growers Association and Manitoba Canola Growers. Tell us just a little bit about some of your challenges with canola, uh, not only with production, but with the marketing of that too. So what kind of things are you working on there, Clayton? Um, production, the last number of years, uh, flea beetles have been a major issue. So with the Manitoba canola growers, we've been looking at investing some research money into trying to find uh, new ways to, to deal with those pests. It's been probably one of the more costlier uh Pests that have been, you know, damaging canola in Manitoba. So on the production side, that's probably the the one that stands out for me personally. That's been one of our biggest challenges. So how about seed treatment and foliar insecticide? I guess I'm not familiar up in Canada what you have labeled for seed treatment or foliar, but here in the U.S., we're just typically spraying flea beetles with or using seed treatment and then spraying foliar. So are are there limitations there, or what, what what's the the challenge there? Yeah, there are some limitations. Uh, you know, the last number of years, the available seed treatments haven't been overly effective. So farmers have been having to go in with uh, non-selective insecticide over the top yep. once the crop emerges. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that can be effective. But some of the chemistries that farmers have been using were no longer available this year. Sure. Fortunately, uh, a lot of the seed companies were able to get together and provide um I guess, uh, a combination of better seed treatments. So that's been a big help. But going forward, we're going to need some more options here to, to, to combat these pests for sure. Sure. All right. So on the marketing end of things, tell us about what you go through there and maybe some of the work that you're doing with these uh, these canola groups. Well, it's not my personal area of expertise, but uh, Manitoba Canola has done a great job with... Uh, advancing uh, Canola Eat Well, which is a program that markets canola and improves the public perspective of canola and canola farming in Canada. Um, it's been a great marketing tool. Uh, it's had great uptake in like major urban centers and that's kind of a, an important thing as farmers become more and more distant from the rest of society just due to uh, uh, you know demographics and the way the population move. Yep. Uh, it's important for urban people to consistently have a positive perspective on agriculture and the things that we do and the food that we produce. Yep, we agree with you 100%. That's one of our biggest challenges we face as farmers all the time. I say it often to people that are to farmer groups that, you know, we're trying to provide food for the world out there. And as farmers, we're less than 1% of the population now in North America. Well, that other 99% of the population sometimes doesn't think we know what we're doing. And I think we're doing a great job. We just have to make sure we're communicating that out to people. So in, any, messages, yeah, any messages in particular that you would say, any misconceptions or anything that you're usually trying to disprove? You know what? Not that it jumps to mind, but I think the big part is if... if urban people or people that perhaps aren't that familiar with agriculture or food production aren't getting their information from you or I or a farm organization, they're going to get it from somewhere else and they might be getting a lot of misinformation that's going to steer the topic in a way that's negative for agriculture. So farm groups, an important part of that is communicating what farmers are doing, doing properly, 
and hopefully that fills that uh, void of information that could potentially be filled with misinformation. Yep, I agree with you. Clayton, hey, thanks for the time today. Thanks for what you're doing for all of us farmers out there, and good luck with your spring wheat harvest. Thank you. Take care. All right, it's Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call in, you can uh, certainly catch us right now. We've got some open phone lines, 844-44-AG-PHD. One of the things that I wanted to talk just a little bit about today is there are so many agronomic issues that once we get late in the season like this, we start seeing um, we have areas where there are major problems out there, kind of like Darren brought up. Well, we didn't get the best weed control. All right. A lot of people identified that a while ago, but now we're seeing some late season diseases pop up, like even sclerotinia white mold. We thought for quite a while, hey, if you looked at the drought map in the United States, well, everybody had drought. We weren't going to have a lot of sclerotinia white mold. Um, I've been talking to quite a few people now, and even we've seen it in some of our own fields and areas that didn't that don't normally have white mold, because we're typically treating in the areas where we have white mold usually. And guess what? Some has popped up in other places. So we're also seeing gall midge larvae become a much bigger deal than normal this year. And if you're not familiar with what this gall midge is, this is a problem in soybeans. It's a brand new insect. My brother Darren was actually one of the first people that ever found it in the United States. This is back probably 15 years ago. And anyway, what it does, it's little flies that lay eggs in soybean stems. Well, once the eggs hatch, there are worms. So they'll look kind of reddish uh, and they hollow out the inside of the soybean stem and they can literally kill every soybean plant that's out there. Now, fortunately, most of the time when we've seen gall midge, It hasn't moved far, and it hasn't moved far into fields. So usually where we spot this is if you've had a soybean field right across the fence last year, and now this year, whether that field was yours or the neighbor's, doesn't matter, uh, this year if you raise soybeans right next to where beans were raised last year, it's on those end rows on the first 50 or 100 feet into the field where we're seeing a lot of this gall midge larvae. And we've had some of the most serious cases show up here just in the last couple of weeks where I've been talking to several agronomists around my region where they go, yeah, we're walking into some fields and it's complete devastation on one end of the field, like literally 100% yield loss. So what I want to encourage you to do, if you raise soybeans, when you are out harvesting this fall, get off the combine if you're seeing an area where you go, whoa, boy, I was I was kind of going along. Here was my one yield. You know, it was whatever, 40, 50, 60, 70, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing a big drop. And especially on an end row. Get out, take a look at the stocks, and look closely. Because almost every farmer that has this fall realized they had, or this summer realized they had gall midge, they, they called an agronomist and were blaming Oh, it's the, the, the seed variety isn't handling the drought well. Or, yeah, I don't know what's going on with this part of my field. I think it's some disease or something. You got to look close and look at that stem, but literally you can go in some cases and just push these stems right over. So there, you'll see a hole in the stem down toward the base, and if you break that plant open, you'll see these little red worms inside. You'll see that it's hollowed out inside. And when you look at the overall plant, um, there may be some 
well, there will be leaves on there. There may be some pods on there, but there are usually no pods filled or the pod fill is going unbelievably poorly. So anyway, that's one of our biggest concerns right now with soybeans across our, our region of the United States. And where where gall midge was first found, well, so uh, I'll just tell you where my brother Darren found it the first time was in extreme southeast South Dakota. So kind of right by where Nebraska, Iowa, and South Dakota all meet. And he he sent me a picture. I just remember the day that that happened because he goes, yeah, it was, I had to go out to a guy's field because the year before he said he had Phytophthora. So I gave him, you know, all my best advice on how you get past Phytophthora. He called me again the next year, had the same problem, same area. I'm like, yeah, no, you don't have Phytophthora. He goes out there, finds this brand new insect, gall midge larvae, and this thing is spread throughout much of the Western Corn Belt now. So check on your farm for that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. 
Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel bin full of corn, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 1,000 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. It's Farmer Friday here on Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. We're going to go back to the phone lines right away. Got Mark calling in from down in Georgia. Hey, Mark, a little hot down in your state today? Well, uh, Brian, good afternoon. It's in the high 90s, but it's going to warm up a little bit next week. <laughs> yeah, sounds a little brisk. So, hey, uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> hey, 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 Mark, how are the crops looking down your way this year? Uh, we've had a good growing year. We're winding up corn right now. Uh, we're in the last field. Uh, most of our neighbors are about the same way or, you know, getting close to being through, uh, looking at, uh, desiccating some soybeans in the next day or two. So, uh, you know, we've always got something to do on the family farm. (laughs) All right. Tell us about your corn yield so far. Were you happy, disappointed? Have you ever made too much corn, Brian? <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm always shooting for more. <laughs> we, we've had a good year. I good. can't complain, but at the same time, I was visiting with a neighbor uh, last weekend, maybe, and we were talking about a post-harvest skull session and see what we need to do better. Uh, there's always room for improvement. Um, and, you know, who knows what that key is? Uh, I guess David Hewlett maybe knows what to key is and, and uh, Randy Dowdy, but I don't, I don't know what the key is yet. Do you have any ideas? It, cor- it, 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 anything it, you're thinking of where you go, oh, I don't know, maybe th- maybe I'm a little short on this, or maybe I could try this different. I mean, do you have any ideas on anything you're thinking about for next year for corn? Brian, we've done biologicals, and and we just haven't seen results with them. We've done, we've done check plots and, and just haven't seen it. I'm an NPK man, but uh, this year in one of our variety trials, I said, okay, you know, we, we want to make this thing look good. So yep. we ran over it with some extra nitrogen and potassium, and, hey, we, we didn't see a bit of the yield bump in it. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. We're, we're making good yields, but uh, I, I just always like to do a little better. Yep, yep, I hear you. Yeah, we were kind of in that same boat, and I mean, we're always trying to fine-tune what we're doing as well, but when you start talking about N, P, and K, um, then we started looking more at some of the micronutrients, some of the different ratios out there, and and that really did make a difference for us. So we've got a lot of this yield data versus soil test information, and yeah, you can really see it, but when you say you added more nitrogen and potassium, and it didn't increase yield that just tells us hey that wasn't a yield limiting factor it's kind of like these guys that that want to try these biological nitrogen replacement products and i go well that's fine but are you sure nitrogen's a yield limiting factor for you and they go well i want to put on my full nitrogen and then add more of this i go well wait a second here just think about this logically if you already have enough nitrogen to raise the crop you're raising what's adding more nitrogen going to do for you something else is the yield limiting factor there that's what we've all got to figure out Right. We, we did some of the nitrogen replacement, and, and we've had mixed results with it. This sure. year, it was one field that was good, the next field, no results. Yep. So uh, we, added, we added chicken litter to our mix this year, 
and um, that's something that, that we've got to learn how to utilize. Uh, it, it sort of messes with our cultural practices because we're strip till. Oh, and yep. and for best results or utilization of the nitrogen in the chicken litter, they want you to put it out as close to planting as you can. Yep. So uh, you know, there's a place for it, but we're just we're always looking for something. <laughs> hey, tell us about the soybean desiccation. So where we farm, nobody desiccates their soybeans. Why do you do it? Why why do you need to do it? Well, these these beans are, are planted. We planted these beans in April. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a group it's a late group four bean, and what we're trying to do is they don't like bad weather. Yep. And and down here we have pretty tight windows, and so we're trying to tighten it up and 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 get them out of the field as fast as we can. So when you talk about bad weather, what are you expecting here in the next couple of months? I mean, how much rain do you get sometimes at this time of year? We can, we can, we're so close to the Gulf, you know, all of a sudden we might get a, a, a big rain come through here. Right now, we've got a really good forecast for 14 days, and that's what we're trying to do is take advantage of that. So when you talk about big rains, like how much rain, what's the most you've ever gotten in one shot? Uh, probably around 14 inches. <laughs> that was off a tropical storm. Yep. Yeah, that's more uh, than we had for yeah. the whole year last year. <laughs> right, and, and see, <laughs> yep. it, it's no, it's nothing. It's nothing for us to get a four inch rain. Yeah, I mean that that happens pretty regularly. <laughs> uh, it hasn't lately. Uh, we we've been sort of on the dry side, but but that's fine right now. Uh, we want it dry. How light is your soil? Light, light. You know, I I've told you we're 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 three cc. Yeah, you know, uh, if we get something five, we sort of get excited about it. Uh, we we and we we have variability. I mean, sure. we, we've got sure. some stuff that's pretty heavy, but most of our stuff is light. So, because of that super light soil, do most people irrigate around you? Yeah, we're we're irrigated. Uh, yeah. We're we're a hundred percent, and I say a hundred percent. We've got a few dry corners, but uh, and and most of the people here are. Uh, we we can grow cotton and peanuts non-irrigated, but don't even attempt to grow corn uh, without irrigation. So talk to us about cotton and peanuts. I assume you're raising some of both of those crops this year as well? Yes, yes, we are. Uh, uh, cotton loves hot weather, so it yep. should be happy. It responds real well to water in, in these type of conditions. We've got a real good fruit load right now. Uh, beginning to open bowls, the bottom, uh, cotton plant opens from the bottom to the top. That's how it puts the bowls on, and that's how they mature. So we also don't want rain because uh, one of our major yield limiters is, is the amount of bowl rot that we have because of, of, of excessive moisture. Uh, peanuts, uh, we have a very good crop above the ground right now, a lot of vines, and uh, that's a uh, problem we can have some white mold as one of our yield issues or one of our disease issues so we maintain a pretty tight schedule which is a fungicide every two weeks and uh we put about an inch and a half of water a week on these peanuts and the cotton so with that cotton are you also trying to get that out of the field fairly soon or when is harvest on cotton this cotton will come out in october 
we'll, we'll probably start uh, defoliating. That's taking the leaves off, and, and you put a bold opener in there with it to, to open the top bowls. We'll do that the latter part of September, first part of October, and uh, begin picking 10 days to two weeks after that. Our goal every year is to be out of the cotton field by Thanksgiving. But uh, this year, we, we always hope to get a, to, to do it a little bit earlier. Uh, peanuts, we have moved peanut planting back. Uh, used to, Historically, peanuts have started planting in uh, the middle of April up to the latter part of May. But uh, a yield limiter in peanuts is tomato spotted wilt virus, hmm. something that's come here in the last 20 years. And the, the universities have done a lot of work, and, and, and it, it's narrowed our planting window up. We don't plant peanuts now until the first part of May, trying to make them less susceptible to the virus. Interesting. Anything else that you can do to stop that virus? Uh, it, it responds well to strip tillage. However, uh, high-yield peanuts, are, are, our highest peanut producers are still turned their land. And it's carried by a thrip, and a thrip gotcha. likes bare ground. And uh, so, you know, six one way, half dozen the other. you got to decide your poison. Hmm. Yep, there are always challenges in farming. Hey, Mark, thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for all the insight, too, on some of these crops we don't spend much time on talking about on the show, like cotton and peanuts. Appreciate it. All right. Come see us one day. <laughs> yep, we'll have to do that. Thanks a lot, Mark. We're just, we're, just, we're just down the road a little bit. <laughs> well, you're in a much warmer spot, so I'm going to come see you in the winter, I think. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I lost Hey. Mm-mm. All right. Hey, thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. It is Farmer Friday. We're going to get back to the phone lines right after this. And if you'd like to call in as well, we got just a little bit of time yet today. 844-44-AG-PHD. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual-mode-of-action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hard-working control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. 
and with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. From mowing to loading or even moving snow, a John Deere compact utility tractor is ready for any task. During the CNB Summer Blowout event going on now, get yours for zero money down and 0% interest for 84 months. This offer won't last forever, so check out your nearest CNB or learn more at DeerEquipment.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. And our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And of course, you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Got Tony with us out in California right now. Tony, how you doing? Good to hear from you. Oh, good afternoon. How's everybody over there? You know what? We, uh, we didn't get any rain all summer. Kind of felt like we were farming with you. Uh, but except, except we don't have access to irrigation, well, but you know, we did catch a little bit of rain in August, so it's, it's looking a little more green. How about you? Good deal. I don't know if you heard, we're about to get dumped on pretty heavy. There's that hurricane down South in Mexico that's supposed to make way up here on, uh, on a Sunday and Monday. So preparing for that. Yeah. Well, good luck. So, yeah. Yeah. I have a question for you. As you know, I have a lot of fruit trees. Um, well, not a lot compared, a lot for a small farm. Fruit sure. trees is mostly what I do with melons, and I have my chickens. Um, there's a farm out there in Las Vegas that I go and visit. It has the same climate or experience than me. They've been around for a long time, and same same climate. So, what when I go and visit, I look and see what they're doing, and and try and. Do, do the same thing. And they had some corn growing last year. Doesn't get very tall, only about five or six feet um, in, in height. And, you know, not a lot of corn on it, but they were growing it. <clears throat> and um, so I got the seed and I, I got about 5,000 seeds. I planted them. And when I first planted the corn, it took off really well. It was growing fast. It looked really nice. Um, and then I think I made a few mistakes, and I know all you guys are probably going to laugh at me, but I think I planted them too close, and I think I gave them too much water because right when the, the husk started to form, well, first of all, they didn't get that big. They were only about four four inches long. They were pretty small. Corn was super sweet, the few that I got to taste. But then all of a sudden, um, they just all died out at the same time. And I think... Uh, planting them too close and then I had a busted pipe that I didn't know about um, that flooded the area for about two days. It was completely saturated. So I think, just wondering, did I plant them too close and 
and too much water killed us. What What was your planting date, Tony? When did you plant them? Oh, I would have to look it up. Um, uh, I would say late May, early June, right when the weather got a little warm over here. Okay. That would be something, too, that we could plant a lot earlier. One of the challenges with corn, when it's trying to to put the tassels on and pollinate the ears when it's really hot that's tough to overcome so a lot of guys will try to plant early like and i don't know what early will be from your for your area but maybe it'll be march or something like that we plant in april here and we we try to plant when it's cooler and and try and beat the heat and get to that pollination window before it gets too terribly hot and and you're in the mojave desert aren't you i mean that's yeah i can only imagine it feels like the mojave desert here sometimes but it's nothing like what you face so uh i, I would try and beat that heat that would be something and certainly you can overwater uh if you were flooded for a couple of days that could be a problem too and that that could be a good chunk of your issues okay and do you think maybe the heat knocked it out as well because all of a sudden everything just turned yellow within a it was dead within a couple days and i noticed it was right after right after i found that busted pipe it just flooded it for a couple days it made a big mud puddle over there yeah so i mean having air in the soil is really important but i will say this a lot of times crops especially corn can withstand a little bit of flooding we've had flooding for three four days sometimes i mean like literally the the plants are uh, there's water on them up to two feet high and we've still had fairly decent crop. So that's what, if it was only two days, I really kind of question that, uh, that seems like a short time, but yeah, we, 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 uh, let's put it this way. We have a few unanswered questions here. Uh, your area is way different than a lot of areas that are going to try to raise corn, which is partly why corn isn't like super popular there. But um, okay. I, I, what I'm curious about, my my number one question when you said, hey, I might have these planted too close, uh, what was your row, row spacing and uh, your space in between plants? Or how many plants did you plant on a per acre basis? Well, I'm going to be embarrassed telling you guys this. There were they were probably only four to six inches apart, and the row spacing were really close, um, probably another six inches in between the rows. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, I know. I had a, I had a, I, yeah, didn't know what I was doing there. Now, uh, I assume this is sweet corn we're talking about? Yes. Yeah. So a lot of times what we do is we plant sweet corn exceptionally thin because that way we get a much bigger ear. So, yeah, we're, we're typically on 30-inch rows, and then we don't want to have nearly that many. I mean, if you were in 30-inch rows, four to six inches apart, probably wouldn't be bad, Darren. You can run the numbers on that for me. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it is too many plants. And then our other big question that we're always talking about is soil fertility. We're curious you know, what, what's that soil like? I assume it's pure sand, so there's not much in there, well, but then how much, what are you supplementing in terms of fertilizer as the season progresses? Well, I've been building the soil for the last few years. I, I have a thousand chickens over there. So I use that, okay. that chicken fertilizer. And then I have the tree companies. They, they dump their mulch, um, you know, their tree bark, and I've been mixing it in. So I have, you know, I've been 
I've been working it for for years, but still might not be as strong as uh, as it should be. Because I've heard you guys talking over the last week about lots of potassium, right, or phosphorus. Both phosphorus and potassium. Yep, both important. Yep, and it may not have enough. When I grow corn or beets, I'm sorry, carrots or beets, the carrots are really strong and the beets are really strong, but the tops aren't. They're kind of weak. Yep. So that's kind of telling me that they're not getting enough vitamins. Yes. Yep. Yep. Potentially. And here's one other thing that I want to throw out there. When you mention mulch, and especially if we ever start talking wood chips or anything like that, that ties up a tremendous amount of nitrogen and corn needs lots of nitrogen. Yes. So what we often find, well, we've learned this the hard way, even ourselves, like at our Ag PhD field day site. So we farm about 3,500 crop acres. So it's quite a few acres, but we're always trying smaller experiments with things. So one year we tried, oh, let's throw a bunch of, uh, wood chips out in our Ag PhD field day site under some of the tents. Well, sure enough, very next year, put on normal nitrogen rates and even a little above that, and all our corn was yellow and horrible. It was a disaster. So that's one of the biggest things is you get tremendous nitrogen tie-up when you have more residue out there, and especially that high-carbon residue like uh, like wood chips or anything like that. So anyway, I'll tell you what, Tony, if you want to send us a soil test, then we can take a look at that. So like right from this area where the corn was grown and, and did poorly, send us a soil test from there. We'll take a look at that and then we'll, uh, we'll get back to you on that and let you know what else we think. Okay. Well, that's some, that's some really good information right there. One more quick question. If you have a chance, uh, when is the right time to start spraying, um, to keep that, keep that caterpillar out when you start to see the, the tassels or when do you, when do you spray for that? You, I would just I would just normally scout cornfields, and yep. if I see any bugs, that's when I'd pull the trigger because those that's insecticides okay. only last yep. for a couple of weeks at of protection. Best. At best. So I will just tell you the yeah, people that organic stuff. Yeah. Uh, sure. Sure. Yeah, and it's it's just not going to last that terrible long. Yep. Yep. That's okay. right. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate a lot of good information. Thanks a lot. Oh, one one last thing, Tony. When we start talking about just insects in general, the healthier you can make that crop, the more tolerant it's going to be to insects. And sometimes you don't even see as many bugs. So... With that, that's really what we're after here is on the fertility side, we got, we, especially if you're talking organic, we've got to do an amazing job there. We can't have deficiencies because otherwise you're already hurt on the deficiency with the nutrient. And then a lot of times you're way more likely to have disease and somewhat more likely to have insects. So anyway, just something for you to think about. But again, yeah, send us your soil tests and we'll take a look at them. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate the time. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you very you much. Bet. Thanks, Tony. Yeah. Have good a good luck. day. You too. Thank you. Farmer Friday is always fun. I, I love getting questions like here. wasn't expecting to talk sweet corn in the Mojave Desert, but uh, that's fun to try and work through those situations. And then even if you say, well, wait a minute, I'm in north central Iowa. What's that have to do with this? Hey, it's a lot of the same issues that you're going to face. Uh, like even for this year, extreme heat and drought, some of those same lessons would be true that Tony would face every year. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.